A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away, there was a pretty cool podcast. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today, we are talking about Star Wars, Star Wars video games, starting with Jedi Survivor, which we've all played. We give some impressions, then talk about Star Wars games in general. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. Hello. 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 We're back. It's us. Here we are. And I have played The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. But I'll talk <laughs> about that later. You're just opening with that. We're just I'm not going to talk about it now. I Everything just else we're going to talk about. Well, mm-hmm. I just wanted to tease that that's coming mm-hmm. later in the show. So mm-hmm. people have to listen to the whole thing. Or you could just, you know, start hitting that fast forward button, skip yep, 45 yep, seconds a whole yep. bunch of times, and you'll immediately mm-hmm. hear. This is, this is really mimicking the release of Star Wars Jedi Survivor in a lot of ways because it's like the <laughs> listener, the, the gamers out there are already in their head wishing they could fast right. forward to Tears of the Kingdom. But they're mm-hmm. really giving short shrift to a pretty cool Star Wars game. So yes, what I and and similarly, they would be giving short shrift to I, what I think will be a pretty cool episode. I agree. Mm, I hope exactly. so. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Exactly. But we'll see you about that. Anyway, yeah, we if will. you want to help us help support our show so we can keep talking about Star Wars and Zelda and all those other delicious things, um, please <laughs> become a member of our network, <laughs> Maximum Fun. Go to MaximumFun.org slash join. And in addition to being one of the very fine listeners who helps us make this show possible, you will also get bonus content from Triple Click. Every single month we do a yeah. bonus episode, including this month's, which is a big deep dive into Persona 5. Royal. Uh, classic. The classic Royal one. Not just any Persona game. 5. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to talk about Royal. We're going to talk about the new stuff they added. It'll be really fun. Um, that will be available, what, Monday, Kirk? Soon. That will be available, be available. Monday. Yeah, I believe Monday, which is technically May 1st, but it's our April bonus episode. That's fine. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I think April people will forgive us. 30 days, so really it could be like... Yeah, it's, it's April mm-hmm. 31st. Slack. Exactly, <laughs> April 31st. It'll be right. available on April 31st. That's right. Um, but of course, you have to be a member to check it out, so go to MaximumFun.org slash join and help us make this show possible. Also, we are uh, getting pretty close to selling out tickets to Triple Click Live on May 18th, which is coming up very soon. Yeah. It's only three weeks away. Um, so get your ticket now if you want to. I imagine that it will be sold out by, like, like in the days beforehand so mm-hmm. don't procrastinate Seconds on that away one from when you're listening to this right now it's gonna sell yeah out. exactly so you're you gonna be trying to check now. out and it'll be gone <laughs> um but uh but if you if you can't make it to new york you can also buy a ticket and watch it digitally um so you can check that out too link will be in the show notes um and i believe we're gonna uh post that episode in the feed the following week regardless yes. so you will get to hear it no matter what but if you want the live energy if you want to get to actually see it as it's happening and also see it rather than just listening to it then you got to get a ticket um i believe that is it for uh, our kind of pre-show stuff so kirk take us away All right. Well, we're going to be talking about Star Wars this week, and uh, that is, of course, due in large part to the pending release of Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which is coming out, I believe, what, the day after you hear this episode? Yeah, the 28th. On the 28th? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it'll be be imminently coming out when you Mm -hmm. listen to this, and we've all been playing early release codes that we got from EA, and -hmm. we're going to talk more about it next week when we've had more time to play a little bit more because it's a pretty big game. There's a lot going on. So we thought that for this week, it would be fun to just talk a little more broadly about Star Wars and video games and the two things separately and then also Star Wars video games as a concept (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they're kind of interesting as separate things. Of course, we've done a lot of episodes about Star Wars, you know, about Star Wars shows and Star Wars movies. Yes, right. That's true, a lot of those bonus episodes. But then there's also this whole interesting intersection between the world of video games and the world of Star Wars. So we're going to talk about that some. I guess let's start with Jedi Survivor, because we've all played some amount of it. Let's just talk a little bit about it, what we think of it so far, how much we've played. So I believe, Maddie, because you've been catching up on Persona, you've played a little bit less than Jason. I think Jason's played a little bit more than me. So Jason, why don't you start? How much have you played and what are you thinking of the new game? Yeah, I've actually played a good chunk of it now. I'm up to, um, I guess, technically the third planet, but really the second major planet, because the first planet is just kind of like an intro section to the game. Oh, yeah, on Coruscant, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it starts on Coruscant. 
it starts on Coruscant, then you go to a big old planet called Kobo, which is like this big open world section of the mm-hmm. game, and then I am on the planet after that. Um, yeah, it rules. It's really, really good. And <laughs> I, I'm not surprised that it's really, really good because Jedi Fallen Order was pretty good. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm just really enjoying it. It's got that kind of recipe that I'm really into between the uh, kind of soul slash Sekiro style lightsaber combat and the structure of having the meditation points slash campfires um, that, that let you save and um, that you can take shortcuts to and stuff that if you played Jedi Fallen Order, you're very familiar with. That mixed with like really cool traversal stuff um and some really interesting just kind of like open world meaty goodness and metroidvania uh teases as you go where it's like oh hey that thing i'm gonna get something that lets me go there soon um yeah i really i'm really into it uh one i think the, really the smartest decision that the developers at respawn made when they were going into this game was um saying hey instead of doing the whole classic like samus thing where we reset your powers to zero <laughs> at the beginning of the game so you can go <clears throat> collect them again you actually start off with all of the powers that you got in the first game which is awesome for several reasons one because it doesn't feel like you're retreading your steps and it's like oh well this dungeon's gonna have the boomerang again gotta do that um but uh, two, I think this is the most important thing. It means you have double jump from the first second of the game up until, well, I mean, presumably the end, unless it gets taken away <laughs> yeah, at some point. What if it gets point. taken but away? That'd be crazy. Having double jump makes such a big difference. And I remember feeling this way in Jedi Fallen Order that like getting the double jump really changed the nature of the game because you feel like you can do so much more. Um, this is true of pretty much any game that has a double jump in it. Uh, and with this, because Survivor is built and designed to have double jump from the get-go, there's a lot of cool traversal stuff you do a lot of flipping from wall to wall and jumping between platforms and and climbing there's a ton of climbing in this game even more so than the previous game so yeah i'm really into it and double jump might be the number reason number one reason why nice uh maddie how much have you played and what are you thinking of it uh i think i'm about six hours in i oh wow okay don't i'm still on the second planet definitely got lost on coruscant for most of the six hours if i'm if i'm being honest uh that wait you got lost yeah of course couldn't figure out where to go and uh this game we don't need to get into it it's fine i'll be fine but it, it took me a while. Anyway, you get a you get a grappling hook eventually, and after that, it's smooth sailing. But up mm. until that moment, if you're someone who gets lost in games, good luck. Uh, I am also having a great time with it. Uh, story isn't super grabbing me yet, but that isn't worrying me because I'm really enjoying the lightsaber fights. I remember feeling like the parry felt kind of weird in Fallen Order, and there were like a few things about the combat that just weren't quite as tight as I wanted them to be. And this game has sanded off some of those issues, and I'm enjoying it a lot more. It's still not I mean, I know you compared it to Sekiro, Jason. It's still not like Dark Souls level in terms of feeling extremely precise in every movement that you make. Maybe they'll get there in the third one, but it's definitely an improvement. And the fact that you have multiple stances in this game is pretty fun. I know you unlock more right now. I only have a couple different ways to wield lightsabers. I've got just the regular one and the double-bladed Darth Maul situation and then also just holding two lightsabers. I I hope you guys don't... See, this is a spoiler, but I've heard that you get to do one lightsaber in one hand and a blaster in the other hand. And I'm really looking forward to that because then I'll <laughs> feel like a cool pirate. It's full full bloodborne. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I want I want pirate mode. So I, I'm just enjoying the combat a lot <laughs> and hoping that the story slowly grabs me. I miss Marin, so I hope she comes back. She's the cool night sister force witch from the first game. And she's only been in this game for like two seconds in a flashback so yeah i mean we'll it, there's a there's a pretty clear getting the gang back together yes, vibe going absolutely. on in this game it, I, I think it would be premature to say anything about the narrative based yes, on how much the yes. three of us have played this game is obviously going to be like this epic massive thing yeah. with a huge cast of characters and all the characters from the first game will be back and yeah i've similarly i'm on the second planet so the first real planet and you know i met met up with Grease, so one character from the first game, but yeah, like it's it just seems very clear there's I don't even really know the contours of what the narrative 
competitive is going to be. And also, since the game is just now coming out, we won't even really get into it. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely reserving judgment on the story. But I will say, I think all three of us, I, I always hesitate to speak for all three of us, but we were all pleasantly surprised, right, by the narrative yeah. of Jedi Fallen Order, especially mm-hmm. the last act of that game, yeah. which is a pretty common sentiment and an unusual thing in video games oh, yeah. where... The last act is really interesting. It's and sort the of final moments. I still think well, about yes, how there is a really cool incredible <laughs> thing that I'm sure a lot of people know, but I still won't spoil no, since it is don't. such a fun surprise. Um, but also, just it kind of interrogates the nature of the Jedi and the wisdom of reopening a Jedi temple, which is Cal Kestis, the protagonist's goal throughout the first game. It kind of um, he they wind up not doing it, um, mm-hmm. and at the beginning of this game, they are kind of in the aftermath of this decision where your quest for the whole first game was to. I don't even remember. Get some Jedi MacGuffin that'll let you open a new Jedi Academy, and, and it was I the guess it's list you can of the survivors, right? You can that, locate right? yeah, the, the Jedi. Yes, uh-huh. so it's a the list. Holocron, the, yeah. the yes, destroyed holocron. holocron that they show you yeah. on your shelf when you first get right. to your and ship you'll in this then game. Find yes, that and, and you point at it, it and you're like, "There's yeah. my destroyed holocron from the first <laughs> right. game." Uh-huh. <laughs> it's cool anytime a story, you know, gives you a goal and then has your characters undergo the growth required to understand that that goal is a mistake. Yeah. And just because that's more interesting than just having a goal and then achieving it, which is what a lot of video games do. So anyways, I thought that was cool. And I definitely give these writers the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. and um, want to see what's going to happen. Go ahead. One quick thought uh, or one quick tip I should give you guys in Jedi Survivor. And Maddie, this might help you. Use kind the of it's going to be about the little yellow things. <laughs> what? No, no. Oh, no. I thought because those tell th- you where to go. That was the tip I was going to give Maddie. But sure, you go I ahead, Jason. You give your tip and then I'll give my tip. That, you know, I should be opening the map and looking at <laughs> yeah. it. And that I wasn't going to be able to just figure it out. But Jason, yeah. back to you. <laughs> one quick tip that might help you get to that soul slash Sekiro level of combat that you're looking for, Maddie, is to, to switch the attack button to R1 on your controller. Oh, you know what? Because yeah, that's a that great a idea. Because right now yeah. it's on one of the face buttons. Mm-hmm. But yep. but the classic Souls format is R1. Makes it feel so much better. I did that for Jedi Fallen Order. Way more enjoyable. Did it for this. Way more enjoyable. You have to do a little bit of finicking to figure out what else. Yeah, how where you want to put everything move things around because having square uh, square is where it kind of defaults to on the playstation controller and uh it makes it a little awkward when you have to do if you switch it with square because then there's like a square and circle thing you have to do which is a little weird but you can figure it out point more importantly having combat having your main attack on r1 i think really just changes the nature of the game and makes it feel so much better at least for me yeah no i'm gonna try that after this I did that with God of War, too, by the way. I do it with all action games these days. Yeah, God of War has a default, I believe, combat setup that uses those, where this game doesn't. It's a little bit tricky with this one because um, I'm not playing with the Xbox Elite. I'm playing on PC, but I've got the uh, the DualSense plugged into the PC, which means I don't have under buttons, which I usually would use for dodge. And that's fine, but it is a little tricky, the thing you say, Jason, where there are moves like um, the fourth Jedi mind trick. You hold down R1, one. Mm-hmm. and then you hit circle. I think there's like it's kind of designed for that plus force push and force pull around the triggers. Yeah. And those do feel really good on the triggers. And then you press both triggers to do a like super pull. So there's some stuff where I, I do wish the combat had light and heavy on R1 and R2. But I don't know. I haven't switched yet, but I might I might experiment with it. Well, there isn't really a heavy. There's kind of like a default attack, and then there's the special attack that you can use. In the, I mean, the, the when you're when you're playing, the, the triangle is like hold yeah, down to triangle. do a thrust. Like that's very yeah, yeah, heavy yeah. attack. Like Souls sure, game. yeah. Well, I mean, I left that on triangle. I actually maybe I will switch it to R two because that might feel better too. Um, yeah. And then maybe play around a little bit more with the force pull and push. But you're right, that does feel good on L two and R two the force pull and push. But yeah. um, having the attack on on R1 for me is just has really made it feel uh, much better. Mm-hmm. Worth worth trying. All right. Well, this is something. This is a little <laughs> in the weeds, considering that the game isn't out. I think we'll we'll all have kind of figured out the controls a little bit more next time. But I will say that the quick tip for anybody who's about to play the game that I think that I was going to say to you, Maddie, is this is the thing I kind of figured out at one point is when you look at the map, which is pretty useful, but also has a lot of information. It's a Metroid Prime style 3D map. map. I am sorry I've derailed us so much by talking about it, but keep going. (laughs) Well, there are these uh, yellow, little yellow brackets that'll go around Mm -hmm. basically where you're supposed to go. And there are times, there's a point on Coruscant where there's like a little tiny 
corridor that Cal has to crawl through. Yeah. That's super easy to miss. And I did spend a little while just not sure where I was going to go or supposed uh-huh. to go. Then I looked at the map and it's <laughs> highlighted in yellow. And I was like, oh, okay, that's where I'm supposed to go. Yeah, so, that also um, happened to me. I know exactly what corridor you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. So if you're ever sitting there and you're like, where am I supposed to go? Don't be like me. Just click the map. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever <laughs> Have you been ever on Coruscant? wandered around going, aren't I supposed to be a Jedi? Can't I just uh-huh. sense where to go? <laughs> Do you remember when the they map. were saying that because of the fast loading times on PS5, we weren't going to have to watch yeah. characters in third-person games like wriggle through what? tight corridors? I'm as going through loaded. tight corridors every other day on the PS5. A lot of, and you lot know of tight fine. corridors I'm not mad game. about it. I don't know why they no, told me fine. I wasn't going to have to do that. Yeah. But the tight corridors are very well animated. I, I So two thoughts. One is that the loading times, despite the solid state drive on the PlayStation 5 where I'm playing this game, I still, in the saloon on Kobo, I would be like standing in front of a door and it would take like a solid five or ten seconds before I could even Well, we it. should say, this is there's a day zero patch. We're playing an unpatched game. I don't yeah. think we should go too That's, into yeah, technical stuff. Yeah, they're actually going to take out the corridors in the full release, I think. I don't know about that. No, but, actually, um, uh, I have heard and seen discussion that... The corridors can be like a deliberate design yeah. um, decision, and it's not just like a loading screen. Oh, I totally masking. agree. Like sometimes they're not. Sometimes and they're sometimes just cool. it's just like, well, it's cool, and also it's like a good way to funnel you to the next place and to make you realize you're going in the right direction, or like realize mm-hmm. that's the main path as opposed to an explore, like an optional. Path. So yeah. there are reasons to have those beyond just the loading, the loading screen trick. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so anyways, uh, back to some just general impressions of mine of this game. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. Um, I'm a, Yeah, the combat maybe is a little better than Fallen Order, but it is not on the level of a Sekiro, only because parries, to me at least, just aren't as readable. Yeah. The, the combat in general is a little more organic. It looks kind of like a movie. And then it just, there isn't that sense where in Sekiro it's just crystal clear when an attack is coming, there's that flash and the parry and it like hits and you get this super clear feedback. They're not quite doing that, but it's really fun. I mean, I oh, don't yeah. really mind. And the game is such an exploration game and a platformer. It's doing so many other things that so far the combat has been fine. And mm. yeah, I also, I agree with you, Jason. Um, I knew you would be happy about the double jump just being mm. available from the start. And in general, I mean, there are so many little abilities that you unlocked in the first game, like the ability to go down uh, a cable, you know, to do a kind of uh, zip line down a cable, but then also to go back up the cable. Yes. You had to unlock that in the first game where you mm-hmm. could only go down oh, for a while. In this game, you can just go both ways right from the start. Like Great. it really does give you those abilities. Cal goes both ways right from the start. <laughs> right from the start. Um, <laughs> oh, you can actually you can customize him more too, which is nice. He's got a cool mohawk for me. Yeah, now, he's got a, a nice, lot nice of beard. different haircuts. You can make his lightsaber any color. You can make it a Barbie pink lightsaber, which I did, uh-huh, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got a purple one. You can unlock that. Amount of customization is wild. You could change like the minor granular details of the lightsaber hilt and it's, it's really crazy how much they added in there. And you can change BD1 who's always been a really That's adorable true. droid. You can really change him around too. He's so cute. He's the best. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of customization options. Those aren't really, I mean, I do like to customize things. I like his mohawk. Um, mm-hmm. I like that I opened a chest and got a beard from yeah. the chest. It's <laughs> funny. You will, you will do many funny. times in this it's game. It's like you're exploring these Jedi ruins, this temple that's been ex- around for thousands yeah. of years and, and like, oh, has all sorts of this mysteries. This is how Jedi cut their hair thousands of years ago. Interesting. Yeah, and it's like, oh, <laughs> Here is a chest with a beard in it. I, what I like to tell myself is that Cal opens it and inside the chest, some Jedi from long past from the High Republic has sort of scratched a portrait of himself. Right, that's what with I'm a picturing really as well. Cool with a really cool beard style beard. that Cal just never thought of. And he's and like, he I'm going to try like, this. I could rock that. I think this I would look cool. good. <laughs> so um, I, I do like that level of customization of the, making him look a little different because I always like dressing up my little dolls in video games. I'm not as into the, the this lightsaber stuff as crazy. Like there's so much of it. Oh, but I, I know some really people fun. really love lightsabers. And yeah. It's the whole thing with the amusement park where you can make your lightsaber from the amusement park and that's cool like i think some people will yeah like it's wild i'm totally not into i it. have done that i have a darth vader replica lightsaber from nice. the freaking star wars land i'm not <laughs> proud of, of this i'm did. saying it in the tone of voice that you, you could be proud it. of it it's fine. it's fine it is fine i look at it and i'm like this is fine that i have this 
So a lot of big budget games have workbenches in some capacity and have like a, a thing you see that you can like do things on, customize abilities, customize weapons, whatever. This is the first time I've ever seen a game that has like this this ubiquitous workbench that is like around all the time that you find all the time that is only for aesthetic customization. For yeah. It's really wild. It's funny. Um, I, to me, as someone who doesn't care about customization at all, to me it's a little bit like, okay, this doesn't feel this feels like a, a, a something I don't need in here, but okay, power to people who care about it, I guess. Uh, it is just a little bit of a bummer to be like, oh, cool, I'm going to explore this side path. Oh, it's another friggin' like, hat I can put on. <laughs> yeah, why aren't there more hats? <laughs> so we're going to talk more about this game next week. So I think we're all pretty positive on it, early impressions. So I think this is a good pivot point and talking some about this aesthetic stuff and the tie-in with the amusement park and all of that <laughs> is kind of a good way to, to zoom this out a little bit and, oh, and talk about its it. place in kind of Star Wars video gamedom. In the galaxy? Yes, yeah. in the galaxy far, far away. Because this series, it feels like we're in a kind of a new era of Star Wars games. And I've been playing Star Wars games since, honestly, since like 1995 or so. Um, I didn't really play X-Wing. That came out in 1993. But since the golden era of LucasArts Star Wars games. And I would say there have kind of been, let's say, four eras. The middle two are kind of a blur, but kind of four eras of Star Wars video games. There's the golden era of LucasArts games. That's kind of from 1993 to 2003, so about those 10 years. This is when LucasArts was making all kinds of amazing games like Dark Forces, Jedi Knight, um, Knights of the Old Republic came out in 2003 toward the end of that. There was Dark Forces and TIE Fighter, um, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, some really great space like sort of combat simulators for the PC. Then, after that, there was a little bit of a lingering hangover period from there where games like Republic Commando and KOTOR Knights of the Old Republic 2 came out. That was in 04 and 05. Then there was a real dead period throughout the kind of Xbox 360, PS3 era. We got, like, The Force Unleashed came out in 2008, which was kind of a dud. I played a little bit of it, but not very good game. Part 2 came out in 2010. That was, I think, really not good. I never even played it. That was Star Wars Connect came out in 2012. There was a lot of just kind of bad stuff going on. And this was due in part to the fact that LucasArts itself, the studio making all these games, was falling apart, as chronicled by Mr. Jason Schreier himself. So this is all kind of during this period, and maybe we'll talk a little more about that later. Then Disney buys Star Wars. They close LucasArts entirely. Well, and of course, Star Wars 1313, which is the kind of infamous oh, yeah. canceled Well, so game. that was in development during this time, and there right. could have been this, you know, there was, look, people were like, we're ready for a new Star Wars game, and that was in 2012. Yeah. Star Wars 1313 gets shown, which is, for anyone who is too young to know that or wasn't paying attention then, was this very exciting-looking kind of uncharted Star Wars-type game that I would say is actually... It's kind of like realized in these games, in Jedi Fallen Order and now Jedi Survivor, um, this that type of single player exciting Star Wars game. But then, of course, Disney buys LucasArts and Star Wars. They shut down LucasArts. 1313 is canceled along with um, First Assault, another big in-development project. This is all chronicled by Mr. Jason Schreier. And then we're just in this kind of quiet period, which this is why I'm saying the second and third eras are kind of blurred together, because this is just when... There were other games in development. Electronic Arts, the publisher, had sort of gotten the deals and their studios are making these games, but it takes a while to make games. And now we're in this kind of new era in which I'd say it kind of started with Battlefront 2, which came out in 2017, um, which was, you know, a multiplayer shooter for the most part, but had a story, was a little bit, you know, it was kind of better than people had been expecting. Then Fallen Order in 2019, Squadrons, a game that I really liked, uh, a sort of another one of those flight sim X-Wing uh, games. It was also really fun in virtual reality. And now here we are with Jedi Survivor. Well, so one, so one, one important part of that is that EA actually signed a deal in 20, when LucasArts shut down, EA signed a deal to have a 10-year exclusive exclusive deal that only EA could make the Star Wars games. And now that deal is over. So now we're like, I guess, either in or about to enter an era where a bunch more games can come out other than the ones you mentioned, Squadrons and Fallen Order. And so right. we might actually be about to get like total oversaturation the way we did with TV and movies, but we will see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will. And I think um, I think the first thing we should talk about in this broader conversation is what it is that makes for a good Star Wars game. My mm. theory on this is that the best Star Wars games are the ones that tell their own stories that are just totally separate 
from the main storyline and the main trilogy. And there was, I mean, I didn't even mention all the adaptations, like the Phantom Menace game that came out in yeah, whatever 2000. Yeah, why did you 2000. skip the pod racing game? That was going to be the one that I picked. <laughs> right. As so my those kinds of games, favorite. like those are the weakest <laughs> games and they're at their what? strongest when they're kind okay. of totally charting their own course. And this was right. true back in the 90s as well and in the 2000s. So I don't know. Let's start there, I guess. Also true of superhero games and what, what we yeah. saw with Arkham Asylum, Rocksteady's Arkham Asylum mm. kind of broke that mold of like licensed superhero games by making this original stuff. And that was a trend that worked out really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As I've been playing Jedi Survivor, I've been struck by how in, a, in some ways it feels kind of interchangeable with God of War Ragnarok mm. and even with other superhero games like Spider-Man. Like it just there's a sense that people have figured out how to make this kind of game and that it almost doesn't matter what the, say, magic or special powers are or what the bad guys are or what the government organizations or overseeing bodies are or what the large conflict, you know, that's framing the action is. They all kind of operate in a very similar space. And in some ways, it makes me feel like like Star Wars has been homogenized a little bit. And it's just like, yeah, well, the magic in this is the force. And, you know, the different parties are whatever, separatists and the Empire and the Jedi and whoever. I don't know. Like, it it, it seems almost as though Star Wars identity is just is is getting, uh, yeah, genericized, I guess, somewhat. Well, I mean, to be fair, the director of Jedi Fallen Order and now Jedi for Jedi Survivor is Stigas Moosin, who before he was at Respawn was at Sony Santa Monica making, mm. like, I, I believe the first three God of War games. So this is a game that has a lot of God of War DNA in it, which I that think is sense. one of the reasons it feels so similar to, to Ragnarok. There's also people who have worked on both games. They're both made in Los Angeles. So there are some common common points there. Yeah, let me, I'm trying to tease this out because I threw that out there as it's the kind of this big idea and that I'm not totally sure what <laughs> I think about it. If you even believe it. Well, it's the big <laughs> no, I do. I, mean, it's the I big do. Idea. No, I have a thought. Hang on. I have a thought. Okay. Um, okay. So if I go back to the era where Star Wars games were really exciting, that's the 1990s. So for me, this was playing TIE Fighter, playing Dark Forces. Mm-hmm. And it was just a coincidence that you were like 12 then. That's it, The games truly were better then and you're, uh-huh. you're personally interested. And also, also that there were only three Star Wars movies then. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say the games were better, but I think that that era <laughs> is really important, uh, irrespective of like how old I was when I was playing those games. And that's because it was the longest time that had passed since a Star Wars movie had come out. And it was before the prequels were a thing because the Phantom Menace came out in 99. It was a golden time to be a Star Wars fan. It's true. Yeah. So it was exciting where we, as a kid, you know, I was in the 80s. I like grew up watching Star Wars movies. And then technology, video game technology had come far enough that you could say, hear the John Williams music at the beginning of the game. And there was this feeling of like, oh my God, I'm in the world of Star Wars. And Dark Forces especially felt that way, where you're playing this guy, Kyle Katarn, who's just a bounty hunter. You're not a Jedi, notably in the first game. And it has that same kind of feeling of the seedy underbelly of the Star Wars world, which was very exciting because it had been so long since there'd really been any Star Wars stuff. And that era totally coincides with the, you know, there not being any movies. And then when the prequels come out, that's right when the wheels start to come off the video game thing. I don't mm. think that's totally a coincidence. Yeah, mm. probably not. And it's probably not a coincidence that the wheels going back on the Star Wars franchise and really resetting them in 2016 is when Force Awakens comes out. And then 2017 is when you marked the, the next era of Star Wars games, mm. kind of figuring out the tone again and the aesthetic of Star Wars that people like i mean the movies are kind of inseparable from how people perceive the games whether we like it or not and then i guess there's kind of a distinction between the era that we're in right now and that 1990s era and that is that disney now owns star wars and star wars has kind of transformed into something more akin to the marvel cinematic universe where there's a sense that it's just been we've They've got it dialed in. They know what Star Wars is. There's all these different TV shows. And as a result, you kind of get a little less of the idiosyncrasies and the weirdness, you know, like a Dark Forces or a TIE Fighter, a game where you're playing as like a jackbooted Imperial TIE Fighter pilot who's taking orders from Darth Vader and killing (laughs) rebels. Like that was a game that came out in 1995. Now we get Jedi Survivor, a great game, a great story, but it does feel like that kind of 
I don't want to say MCUified because it is its own identity, and I don't like just comparing everything to Marvel. But it, it's like a more corporate, a more controlled, a more like big picture idea of what Star Wars is. And it seems like we're gonna get fewer of the kind of weird things, even though you never know, right? Like uh, Midnight Suns happened last year yeah. in, the, in the Marvel world, right? Like it could I think still what you're describing is more the kind of like I don't know sanitization of AAA games, where it's like these games cost uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to make and so they can't take a lot of risks and so they wind up feeling very similar in that sense i mean good luck like pitching a game these days without a skill tree attached <laughs> in your action adventure right yeah and, so and, i mean yeah. I think, and also like cal by? kestis yeah go yeah ahead. well i mean the 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 meditation points actually feel like a bit of an innovation because well, they're, they're dark um, soulsy but yeah yeah and usually a game wouldn't take that kind of risk although uh jedi survivor kind of mitigates that by adding easy mode which a, a souls game never would have mm-hmm. and have fast have travel gonna... which elden ring may yeah, have yeah 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 well yeah but um so so i think that uh uh that there might be room for that grittier Star Wars that you might be looking for, Kirk, or that quirkier Star Wars in lower budget projects. And maybe as we see Lucasfilm start to kind of spread the wealth with Star Wars games, it's given a bunch of different projects to a bunch of different people. Maybe we'll start to see a little bit different different feels to that. I mean, even Respawn alone, Respawn, of course, the makers of these games, is making in addition to Jedi Survivor and presumably its sequel, um, is making a first-person shooter set in Star Wars and overseeing a real-time strategy, or sorry, a turn-based strategy game. Now, which was it? A strategy game uh, (laughs) based on Star Wars. So there's a lot, a lot, lot cooking right now. And maybe one of those games that isn't like a nine-figure budget, maybe that'll deliver more along the lines of what you're looking for, Kirk. Makes sense. And it's kind of in line with the general flow of Star Wars at the moment where I actually just wrapped up Mandalorian season three, which I wasn't a huge, it was fine. It has, it had its moments, but it's, that show has really become sort of franchise maintenance mode. It feels a little like live action Clone Wars at this point where what was exciting about it in the first season was that it was this kind of Xena warrior princess one-off episode of the week thing about this bounty hunter. And now of course it's just Jedi stuff right and left and massive lore and tying in with all the stuff from Clone Wars. And then of course Andor also exists, right? Mm -hmm. And Andor is maybe the exception that proves the rule in that it's the only thing like that that we'll ever get out of Star Wars. But it is certainly an exception that was incredibly good and mm-hmm. did happen like it was funded by Disney. Yeah, Whoa. I that's part of why I want to push back a little bit because I think what you've identified, Kirk, is that the enjoyable parts of Star Wars, the weird parts of Star Wars happen in between each trilogy, whether the trilogy itself is good or not. So mm. like in between the 1977 one and the prequels, we had like a huge amount of Star Wars novels that are all not canon anymore, but include a lot of really cool ideas and experiments with the idea of the force and like new characters that people still really really love and are attached to and still write fanfic about and so on and so forth like that's its own contained world and it's also the what you describe as the golden age of star wars games you really liked but then we get after the prequels and we get the clone wars cartoons that i really like which have inspired stuff like Andor and other sort of more rebellion stories that all of us really dig that are very on the ground level, like just humans surviving in the world of Star Wars and not necessarily being like the super powered beings like Obi-Wan and Darth Vader and just regular people like those kinds of gritty stories are what we all seem to really dig. And there's a lot of that in between the prequels and The Force Awakens because people were like, well, the prequels are really bad. How can we fix this? Let's try try a bunch of weird shit just to try to fix this stuff. And right now we're in this post-Force Awakens era where we've got a lot of different kinds of TV shows. And some of them are like corporate stuff like Obi-Wan, which I still haven't watched and maybe never will. And some of them are weirder stuff like Andor. (laughs) And the games are maybe about to enter that zone too. Like I remember feeling like Fallen Order had a lot of promise when it came to that, despite being a huge AAA product, it still ends with the characters feeling like kind of different from the hero's journey as we've as we've described here. Like it's not necessarily a classic Star Wars story and we haven't beaten this game yet, but I don't know that it's gonna be a classic hero's journey thing either. And yeah. I'm also like Jason, very hopeful about the idea of all these other studios having a chance to take a crack at big and small weird Star Wars stories until we get another big 
<laughs> series of movies and theaters that we all have to alter the gravitational pull of Star Wars thoughts <laughs> to gear towards. Something that I think that we're that is is relevant to what we're talking about here is the Jedi factor. Yeah, and I think it's it's Are relevant to video games not? in particular. <laughs> well, it's relevant to video games in particular because there is the narrative promise of a Star Wars story, and then there is the power fantasy of the Star Wars story, which is I think also tied in with the hero's journey of it all. And mm-hmm. um, if you're looking back at the original trilogy, which is Luke Skywalker is follows the traditional path of a video game protagonist. He starts out level one. He's just a kid going to get some uh, moisture. What are the, What is he trying to get? Moisturizer, moisture vaporizer, something like well, that. Well, he wants he, to go to Tashi Station to pick up power converters, but you're power right. He does have to work right. on a moisture farm Thanks. in the interim. He, so he's, he's level zero. <laughs> he just wants to get some power converters. And then he starts <laughs> leveling up. He gets a cool sword. He like levels up even more and gets some new abilities. He gets a new lightsaber that he makes himself. Mm-hmm. He gets even more powerful. He fights a series of bosses. He becomes all powerful. He basically does a video game level before video games even existed by yeah. defeating the Death Star in a very hyper-specific way, yes. So you can map that progression onto a video game really smoothly. And to go back to my sort of old-school PC games that I used to play, this happened kind of fascinatingly from Dark Forces to Dark Forces 2, Jedi Knight. And the plot of that is that Kyle Katarn, the bounty hunter hero of Dark Forces, kind of anti-hero, becomes Kyle Katarn a Jedi in Jedi Knight, because I can't even remember narrative reasons. It turns out he's Force-sensitive. So they basically realized, well, wouldn't it be cool, though, if you could... I mean, this the Force and Jedi powers really lend themselves to video game, so let's make Kyle into a Jedi, and then you can get a lightsaber, and you can unlock new powers, and you can be light side or dark side, and we can do multiplayer, you know, PvP lightsaber battles and add all this cool stuff. Then Jedi Knight 2 comes out. That's a great game. Notably, not Dark Forces 3 Jedi Knight 2. It's just Jedi Knight 2. Like, the series basically morphed into a series about Jedi. So it would be like if in Andor Season 2, Cassian Andor, it turns out it's a Jedi, and then it's all just Jedi <laughs> stuff. And I think that that That'd is a unique... Or, unique isn't the right word, but I think that... It's not a problem, but it's a sort of it can be narratively limiting to tell a Jedi story because we've heard so many Jedi stories and the Mm -hmm. Jedi thing. Like, I think I at least feel that there's so much potential for storytelling outside of that in the world of Star Wars, as we learned in Andor um, and as we've learned in other 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 uh, series as well. The flip side of that is that uh, probably the best Star Wars game is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, um, which is a Jedi story through and through. Right. Um, we we haven't really gotten to much Kotor talk, but that game, I mean, yeah. that game, talk about subversive. The twist in that game is one of the best twists in video game history. And it's not something that a Star Wars, uh, a, a traditional Star Wars thing would really include. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I well, think you mean that, a traditional Star Wars thing, like a thing like that a wasn't about Jedi? Yeah. Or, or yeah, a movie or kind of like, I don't know. It feels it feels a little bit different in, in that way. It's like, oh, hey, you were you committed genocide and stuff. So, it's well, like, I mean, I think that the, the benefit that that game, the thing that game had going for it was the old Republic part of it, that it was exploring sure. a time period. That it could explore something different. Other. Yeah, I guess the point that I'm making is that a game can have its cake and eat it, too. It can be the, the fantasy of being a Jedi and also tell this really interesting unique story and I think uh, uh, it's a credit to Bioware and the writers on that game that they were able to come up with that and the Knights of the Old Republic 2 takes that even like in different ways and introduces all sorts of interesting nuance and ethical questions about the Jedi and the Force and the dark side and the light side and so so I, I think that there's um, room for exploring some interesting Jedi stories. Again, uh, jury's still out on Survivor and what that asks and does in a way that maybe isn't possible as much in the movies and TV shows, or at least hasn't been done in the movies and TV shows. So to your point, Kirk, I think there's a way to play that power fantasy and also tell interesting stories, at least in games. Yes. And that's not, I want to be clear, that's not what I'm saying. Like where I'm going with this is just that the, it's almost an irresistible, um, idea like telling right. a jedi story for a be, video game because you grow up well these games are also made by people who grew up wanting to be jedis in the 80s right so. the jedi <laughs> are, are really cool and yeah. like i'm saying they lend themselves so well 
to a video game. And as we saw in Fallen Order and as we're seeing in Jedi Survivor, it's the same thing where you unlock cool new powers. Mm -hmm. It totally makes sense as a magic system. So, right, I'm not saying that, like, you can't tell a good story about Jedi because, of course, you can. Knights of the Old Republic is a great example. So is Jedi. I mean, so were Jedi Knight 1 and 2 Mm -hmm. and 3. Also, A New Hope is pretty good. (laughs) Well, yeah, and Jedi Fallen Order. Like, that game also was, like, interesting in a similar way to, you know, I don't know, like, I'm someone who really likes uh, The Last Jedi, which also I think was an interesting Uh Jedi story. Jedi story. But I do react a little bit to just, I'm always feeling a little Jedi fatigue. And I think more and more video games coming out means more and more opportunities for someone to Mm -hmm. say, all right, we're going to take a chance here. This isn't going to be a story about Jedi. And I think that's cool just because it immediately opens a whole bunch of new possibilities. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's more just hero's journey fatigue? Because I feel like part of what we all liked about Fallen Order is that it's it's more of the Bioware vibe of like you get this ragtag group of friends. Some of them has force powers, but not all of them do. And you're all on this journey together. Like that was the piece of it that I really liked. And learning about these different force users who aren't Jedi, like just having a more colorful cast automatically makes it a different story because it's an ensemble and it's not necessarily about one person meeting an old guy who dies and then they get a new weapon and then they destroy the Death Star. Yeah, I think it's also that it gets it out of the Skywalker realm. So it's not just about this one bloodline and this one family. It's just Mm -hmm. about, you know, a whole religion and a sort of mystical way of life intersecting with a broader galaxy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I like that too. Even though it, it does make these games kind of sad because I'm like, well, I guess all these characters have to die because none of them are in Star Wars, huh? <laughs> I guess so. Or I think about that a lot somewhere. when I'm or playing. Maybe they're, they're holed up somewhere. And no, just they're never, not. I mean, I have to think about that while watching Andor for pretty much the whole dang time. Well, and Andor <laughs> is made with that in mind. I, I mean, it's supposed to hang over Andor. Well, we know that. The doom yeah. Of well, Andor. yeah, and I kind of have that sense in this game too. I want, I want a game on Coruscant where you play as a senator and you have to navigate politics. <laughs> you like have I to want go a to the work. Crusader Kings of like, <laughs> this, uh, you know if Coruscant. if the heyday of Telltale Games had corresponded with yes. this yes. new era for video game had development in Star Wars, cor- Coruscant. <laughs> I, I think that that could definitely happen, and it still could happen. That's mm-hmm. the kind of thing. I could see a game like that. And that's the kind of thing that, yeah, hopefully there will be room for and also an appetite for to make it so that more of those kinds of things get made. Because you never know. I mean, it, it seems pretty safe to say that Jedi Survivor is going to be successful. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then when you get into the smaller stuff, it's hard to say. Like uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns apparently was not that successful, despite the fact that that game rules it's and so does good. have the feeling <laughs> of it's, it feels in that way that those 90s Star Wars games felt like just people having fun ideas and trying stuff. Mm-hmm. It had that feeling, which feels even rarer to Today. So I do hope we get some some of that in the Star Wars world in the years to come. I hope we get Star Wars Connect too. <laughs> that too. Another yeah. dancing game would be wonderful. You know. Um, all right. Well, we've got a little extra to talk about in one more thing due to uh, well something that Jason already already didn't just foreshadow, just told us about. So let's take a break, <laughs> and then we'll be back with one more thing. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hello, I'm Lori Kilmerton. We do a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show, and you could listen to it anytime you want it because there's hundreds of episodes. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing comedy forever, and we should both quit. So why don't you listen up (laughs) before we leave this not only terrible business, but this awful world. And find out why we can't. (laughs) Because we love it so. (laughs) The Jackie and Lori Show. Every week here on MaximumFun.org. I'm sure you've noticed how giant corporations are controlling more and more about what we consume, whether it's our food, our news, or even the shows we enjoy. The Greatest Generation is a show that stands up to Big Star Trek and says no. We can laugh about costumes that fit too tightly in the groin area. We can make a Star Trek podcast that's basically only about that. The Greatest Generation, the show for free and independent thinkers about Star Trek. And the groins of different costumes. Reviewing every episode in order. So subscribe to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org. You'll be doing your part in telling the Star Trek industrial complex that they can't control your mind. 
And we're back with one more thing. Jason Schreier, you played a really exciting video game. Why don't you tell us about it? My one more thing is The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. So uh, here in New York, Nintendo had a preview event for that old video game, um, which is kind of a fun thing. It's, It's weird to have a preview of a game just like three weeks or four weeks before it comes out. But in this case, they've been so quiet about the game for so long and only just recently started the actual marketing process <laughs> and like showing us what it is that it actually works out nicely. So um, I went to this uh, this kind of like art gallery area that they rented out in uh, Chelsea um, down in Manhattan. And uh, I uh, went up to this big room where they were do- doing demonstrations on like the 25th floor of this big building um, with big views and they took us outside and they were like, you see that building? You can climb there. (laughs) Um, So uh, what they did was it was a two hour session and basically they gave us a a little hands off presentation and then they showed us, they gave us time to just kind of like experiment with the controls and the new abilities, um, which include his fuse ability and his ultra hand ability. I'll get into that in a second. And then they gave us like 60 minutes, 70 minutes to actually play the game and they put us in front of this big fortress full of macoblins and a tower and said, your goal is to get to that tower and then get into the sky from the tower to the sky islands. Um, First caveat here is that uh, they gave me a pro controller, which I'm not used to using. I'm used to playing the Switch in a handheld mode or during the rare times when it's not in handheld mode, using just the Joy-Cons on their own. And a pro controller feels a lot with like an Xbox controller, which I am used to using, except the A and B and X and Y buttons are all flipped. And so I stumbled so much trying to play this game because it would be like, press A, press B, and I would just get it totally wrong. And so it was very (laughs) difficult for me to preview this game. That said... It's really interesting because imagine Breath of the Wild and all of its physics capabilities ramped up because suddenly you can build things and you can make airplanes and flying air balloons and rockets and attach rockets to different contraptions. And it adds a really interesting dimension. So like I mentioned before, there was that fortress. And so instead of kind of storming into the fortress and trying to use the weapons and stuff to take out um, these enemies who were there, I built this contraption uh, and tried to get straight to the tower and skipped all the fortress and just skip the whole thing, um, which I was able to do the third time after a couple of hilarious mishaps involving like rockets that are misaligned and like setting my whole thing on fire. It was it was very there's going to be a lot of good memes coming from this game, I will Seems say. Likely. Um, good. One thing that I will say is that so Link's main new ability, the big selling point in this game is the ultra hand ability, which is what you use in the wild to kind of hook things up together. So you want to hook up some wood and put a fan on it to create a little boat. That's what you use. You use ultra hand. Um, it's a little bit finicky to use. And again, this is a game that is tough to demo because it's like you really need to take a lot of time to get the hang of the controls. And like if you're attaching a rocket to something, you have to rotate it manually to figure out the right angle for it. And if you're even slightly off, it'll the mm-hmm. game's physics system will send it in that direction. So it's uh, it's definitely going to take some getting adjusting uh, to to really master this game and the the kind of mechanics of it. That said, the third time around, I was able to build this like hot air balloon and just go straight to the tower and skip the whole thing, um, which is <laughs> <Nice>. fun. <laughs> Um, and then the part in the Sky Islands was also pretty fun. Lots of stuff to do up there. It felt like exploring this whole new area of the game. Um, I could kind of, I got a glimpse of like the Breath of the or the Tears of the Kingdom map, which looks a lot like the Breath of the Wild map. Uh, I saw like the Temple of Time in the in the background, something like that. Um, and so I'm really interested to see. It's not clear. It wasn't clear from my demo, like how we're where we are or when we are in relation to Breath right. of the Wild. If it's like a post-apocalyptic version or I guess post post-apocalyptic version or whatever it is. <laughs> um, not clear on that. But yeah, so I got up into the sky. Um, one thing that is worth noting here is that like one of the ways in which you um build these contraptions is through these items that are called like Zonai items. So like there's a Zonai fan, a Zonai rocket, a Zonai igniter for like a hot air balloon that just like shoots fire out of it and then you these things are limited so you can't just build an unlimited number of machines that you want to build um you have to you have to get them and you can find these items i guess called zonai charges that you put into this like um giant ball that looks like a big like uh i don't know like a uh, an arcade 
a machine gumball that like machine spits out. Yeah, what, gumball machine that spits out those Michael gumballs. Polygon's Michael Marty called it. <laughs> It's a um, huge gumball and, machine. <laughs> and you trade in the Zonai charges and you get like a random item, yep. like a gotcha yes. mechanic where you get like a random Zonai item and then you can use those to build your contraption. So I was playing around with that. Um, Korak seeds are back. Still <laughs> still Korak puzzles everywhere. Found some of those. Um, I found uh, this wild looking boss that is like a bunch of blocks put together um, that you can like use your your nice. abilities on. And yeah, it, it seems like it's it's going to be the game that everybody hopes it is from what I glimpsed. Um, I didn't get to see any story or play any real story parts of the game, so no idea what we're in for there. Um and I also didn't get to see if there's like an underground component, but it sure seems like there will be. Um, a few new things that they showed off are like there's like a light system now. So you might be in a dark area and you have to light up a torch and and see things that way. Um, there's a lot of just kind of like uh, rails and carts and all sorts of other stuff just like lying around everywhere. Um yeah, there's a couple more things. You can dive in the air while you're gliding. There's like a button that pops up that it says dive. And then you, if you can want to dive reenact straight the down. opening moments of that uh-huh, trailer that uh-huh, came out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You can actually go when you're on the island portions of the game, you can dive straight down to the surface and like go straight down. Yeah, like Kitty uh, Pride, you, you can use... like go through yeah. surfaces mm-hmm. of any kind. Yeah, seemingly. Nice. sure. Uh, one important, one other important thing is that. Um, uh, the DLC for Breath of the Wild added this ability where you can like set up a recall point and then fast travel to that point at any time. This lets you do that, which is important because if you're on the islands and you yeah. accidentally fall off and land on the ground <laughs> on that surface, you might want to get back to where you are. So now you can just fast travel using those. Um, and yeah, man, it, it seems cool. It seems really interesting. Um, one other important thing that's worth noting, the fusibility that everybody was kind of memeing all about, which lets you attach things to your sword and shield and stuff. Um, you can only fuse one thing at a time. You can only fuse two objects together. So gone are any dreams of like creating a stick that is attached to a stick that is attached to another stick that just goes on forever, uh, sadly. But I did play around a little bit with that, which is fun. I put a mushroom on my shield. Still not sure exactly exactly what it did but hey i had a shield with a mushroom <laughs> on it um one final thought is that the ability whale um that i saw um we've we've the the abilities that were shown off in the nintendo video a couple of months ago are really the only ones i saw there so that is fuse which i mentioned ultra hand which i mentioned um recall which lets you kind of set things rewinding uh rewind things in time so like if an enemy throws something at you you can send it back at them or if you screw up with like one of your rockets you can hit recall and and catch it in there and then send it back to you um so you can jump back on it um, and then uh, ascend, which lets you jump into uh, and like if there's a rooftop above you, you can ascend straight into it and like pop out through it. Um, I didn't see the magnesis or stasis or bombs or cryosis mm, and the old abilities. Um, I don't know if they're going to like play into it in some other way. For example, you can get bombs, uh, I believe, or bomb flowers in the uh, as objects now. And you can like attach one to an arrow and shoot it at at an enemy. So maybe that's maybe the, those are all replaced by the other stuff. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, the new abilities, I mean, Ultra Hand, it's going to be once we really get to like dig into it and like see the full capability of what you can actually build in this game. I think it's going to be pretty wild. Um, I definitely left it wanting to play a whole lot more and especially (laughs) wanting to play more that was not on a controller that felt like an Xbox (laughs) controller. Because I I feel like I'm going to be way, way, feel way more comfortable with it. Um, I'm going to feel like the controls are way less unwieldy. But yeah, even with that, even even with normal controllers, I think the controls are still going to feel a little unwieldy. And there's no button remapping, uh, much to much to my dismay. You have to do it on a system level. You can't go in the menu and and remap your buttons. Um, yeah, that's about it. Tears of the Kingdom comes out in a few weeks. We'll be talking about it much much more. But yeah, having having played it, I am excited. Nice. Yes, I'm excited. Uh, I'm, also. I'm very excited as well. <laughs> um, Maddie, what's your one more thing? 
Okay, so we're going to talk about Star Wars again because <laughs> I right, of course. decided to go all the way back to the very beginning of the Blank Check podcast, which we have <laughs> talked about before and which many people talk about because it's a very popular yes. film criticism podcast that is occasionally also funny. And at its inception, it was not that. It was a comedy podcast about Star Wars and it's so funny, and I didn't know that this was how the show started, and I just want to recommend that more people check it out. I don't know why anyone came up with this idea, but Griffin and David, who are the hosts of that show, decided as a joke to pretend that The Phantom Menace was the only Star Wars movie that existed and to evaluate it as though... It had no predecessors and no social context surrounding it whatsoever. And it's incredible because the characters <laughs> in that movie are not introduced or explained, nor is the world explained at all. And so they like <laughs> delve into The Phantom Menace for 10 episodes straight. Again, pretending as though they have absolutely no other context for who any of these characters are. And they're like, here's here's what we've learned about who the Jedi are and like how the Force works based on this one movie that's the only Star Wars movie that exists. And at the end of those 10 episodes, they pretend to discover that there is, in fact, a little-known sequel to episode one. <laughs> and they do 10 episodes about Attack of the Clones, which are just as hilarious. And, and it goes on and on like that. And I listened to all of it and laughed so hard and enjoyed it so much. And I really recommend it. And it it really made me think about Star Wars in a different way. And I know we say this all the time because we talk about Star Wars freaking constantly. And like yes. I've watched so many Star Wars things and talked to you two about Star Wars so much that I realized I sound insane by telling two of you that I listened <laughs> to some new Star Wars content. And guys, it really made me think about Star Wars differently. But it did because it's like crazy to evaluate the movies in that way. And I mm -hmm. love it. Like, I loved thinking about them in that way and kind of having that mind game and being and having like David and Griffin pretend in the episode three that it's a huge twist that Anakin becomes Darth Vader and that it's shocking that this is the three episode arc <laughs> that the, the main character of these movies becomes evil and they're baffled by <laughs> it. And like, how baffling would that be if that were a three three movie arc would just be ending in the most horrifying thing ever like it would be bizarre if that were an actual three movies that someone made anyway i don't know listen to it the blank check guys <laughs> are always joking that their first episodes are terrible but honestly i think they're really great and i think people should check them out so just scroll That's all so the way back in your podcast yeah. platform under blank check and listen to them different theme song different intro it's a different show essentially but it's in there I have their first episode downloaded it's and quite yeah, good. I started listening to it and I think I started with a sort of later episode where they were still occasionally referencing the, yeah, that bit, that was but then I being like, no, we're done with back. that bit. We're not doing it anymore. Cause they kept joking about it. Cause I've been listening to old blank check episodes anyway. Um, and they mm -hmm. kept joking about the star Wars ones on the older episodes of the archives. And I was like, why do they keep making fun of themselves? Like, how bad could it be? And then I listened. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I don't know why no mm. one talks about this. So, yeah, if you like nice. Star Wars and you want to go insane with those two guys, you should check this out. Nice. Yeah, I think I will. All right. Well, I'll go last um, because – and I'll go I'll briefly because my one more thing is a book I read that I don't want to say too much about because part of the joy or at least the, the amazing thing about this book – is the way that it reveals itself to you. So I finished a book called The Last House on Needless Street, which is written by an author named Catriona Ward. It came out in 2021. It was recommended to me by a friend who kind of similarly recommended it and said, it's a horror book. It's pretty scary. It's pretty intense, but um, just read it. I want to know what you think. So I started reading it and I will, this framing of the book is that it's kind of like serial killer house, scary. There was a missing girl 20 years ago. Is this guy the killer? His Her sister's looking for her. Very kind of Stephen King-y. Stephen King endorses this book and like loved it. And so it starts there. And then it very quickly starts to peel away at its own reality in a way that um, you'll start to notice as a reader because you'll start to realize very quickly that all of the narrators, so it's narrated by this man, Ted, it's narrated by this woman, Dee, it's narrated by Ted's cat, Olivia, it's narrated by Ted's daughter, Lauren, they each get different chapters. And as you read their chapters, things start to not add up. And the book, Catriona Ward, really, the author, does such a good job of inhabiting these different voices and then keeping what's really going on occluded from you, but then revealing things in a way 
that only really an unreliable narrator can, where it's like the narrator sees the world and describes something or observes something, and you're like, oh, so wait, that must mean, and then you're like, but how does that square with, and then you keep thinking and going, and it winds up being a really fascinating psychological portrait of a book, I thought. I will say, as a warning, it is pretty intense, it has depictions of abuse and trauma. There's some pretty awful stuff that happens to characters in it um, that are central to the point of the story. But there is a lot of that stuff. So if you're not into that kind of story, steer clear. It is uh, pretty intense in that way. But I really thought it was interesting. I think Catriona Ward, this is the first book of hers that I've read, just has a fascinating writerly voice. And she came up with characters that I just thought were so interesting and kind of different. Uh, They express themselves differently from a lot of other books that I've read recently. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, a really twisty kind of psychological thriller that reveals itself to you over the course of the novel, uh, I really do recommend it. It's a a fascinating and, and I thought really good book. So that's The Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Ward. And uh, yeah, pretty, pretty cool stuff. That seems like such my cup of tea that I opened a tab and added it to my (laughs) cart on Bookshop. Yeah, I'll be, I'd love to talk to you, both of you about it if you (laughs) have a chance to read it. Because yeah, it's very, very interesting. Cool. And that's it. That's our show. We'll be back next week to talk even more about Star Wars, but more specifically about Jedi Survivor, which I'm psyched to play more of because it's a fun game. It rules. It really does. It really rules so far. So uh, that'll be exciting. And uh, yeah, until then, I will see the two of you next week. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Star Wars. Do you guys know that song? Let there be Star Wars. Jason, do you know what I'm... Nothing but Star Wars. I just watched that whole thing. Do you know what that is? Yeah. It's so good. We've been linking it in Slack a lot. Oh, man, it's really, really good. He's like a loud singer. It's classic, like old SNL. It's really good. Ah, Star Wars. (laughs) Nothing but Star Wars. It is. It's like old. What is it? Is it Bill Murray Mm -hmm. that does it? It's Bill Murray. It's in like the first season. He wears like a lounge singer, like sequin jacket. Yeah. And sings Star Wars to the tune of Star Wars. Please let these Star Wars stay. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Yes, with lyrics that they made up. And that's the entire joke. That's the entire joke. That's really back it. then yeah, you didn't need it. more than that. No, and it is actually very funny. It's great. <laughs> it's great. It, it's it's perfect. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Let's make a show. I'm Jason Shire. I'm Kirk Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs>